Open your Bibles. Well, you good? All right. Open your Bibles to John chapter 12. The light of the world is soon to be ending his public ministry. And in these last few verses, we're going to be, um, he is going to be reaching out to those in the crowd one last time before he ends his public ministry. And then he goes on to start a private ministry with his disciples and preparing them for his coming death. So um, we'll read verses 37 through 40, but I just want to back it up to verse 35 of John chapter 12. And I'll just read that um, up to chapter or verse 40. Then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe him, that the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. In verse 41, these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry. His hour has come. He's ending his public ministry, and he is um, going to start now personalizing this with his disciples. And in verse 36, and he finishes here now, this is, understand that it says, while you have the light and believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light, these things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. It is not yet that he departed and that he was hidden from them right now. If you go into 36 and you end at Sons of Light, you will notice that he picks up this cry of his, this, this appeal or trying to appeal to the people. He picks it up in verse 44. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. So he doesn't finish with verse 36 and then goes and hides and goes and... Uh, you know, and departs, he is still in front of this crowd that has gathered. He is still now what most scholars believe and what the rest of the Gospels pray or reveal is that he has cleaned out the temple a second time from all the um, money grabbers that are going on there, exchangers, and all those bringing wares to sell in the temple. This is the second time that he has done this. And um, he is now... He's going to prepare to teach his disciples in a private manner. But verse 36, John inserts a personal commentary on this. And he says, these things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. And he inserts a well-known verse from Isaiah um, in two chapters in the book of Isaiah. And he's inserting this because... 
Here, he's going to be talking about the unbelief of the people who are standing before him. Those that are there in the crowd that were there by the temple that he has cleared out. There are those that were the Greeks who came and wanted to see him personally. Um, He's going to continue to speak to them before he ends his public ministry. And John inserts this um, part of Isaiah in chapter 53 and in chapter 6 of Isaiah. And he says, verse 37, But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. And what was it that Isaiah spoke? Well, in verse 53, of, or chapter 53, verse 1 of Isaiah, it said, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So let's turn to Isaiah chapter 53. And what's going on right now? In Isaiah 53, verse 1, You know this, um, Isaiah, Isaiah is going to be a prophet. God has uh, picked him as a prophet. And in the unbelief that's going on, Jesus is going to do, God is going to do something remarkable in the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem He's going to do something. He's going to send a redeemer. And in verse 1 of chapter 53, it says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And he goes on to describe the coming Messiah. In verse 2, he says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. The total unbelief of Judah and Jerusalem, having been warned a long time, for a long time, that they were going to be taken captive if they were to continue with uh, worshiping other gods and being disobedient to God. And where Israel was taken earlier, Judah was warned constantly by God and by the prophets that they would be next if they don't repent and turn from their ways. And what Isaiah is saying here is, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Well, Throughout their history, the arm of the Lord has been revealed, his strength, his purpose in their lives. Now, back to John, in the second part of the uh, in the second part of John's commentary, and in using the verses from Isaiah, it says, "Therefore, verse 39, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. This comes out from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. You know this very well because this is where 
Isaiah sees God and his glory, and he is asked, or God is asked, who am I going to send? And in chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, when God asks the question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now understand, he has made here Isaiah prophet, and God is going to send him to continue to warn Judah and Jerusalem of the coming disaster that's going to befall them because of disobedience. And in verse 9 of chapter 6, and he said, or back it up to verse 8, he, then he said, here I am, send me. Isaiah is asking, to God to, to, asking God to send him. And he said, this is God. Go and tell his people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Now, when God speaks of this, that their hearts are going to be hardened, their ears are going to be shut, and they are not going to listen to them, they're not going to turn from their ways. Um, this is used, believe it or not, in two books of the Old Testament, in four, five books of the um, New Testament, and each one meaning the same thing about speaking of the unbelief, but used in a different context throughout uh, Scripture here. In um, And they're used in, it's not an exact wording, but it's a variation of the very things that Isaiah and John has uh, inserted here in this commentary. So John takes a break from verse 36, and he starts talking about the unbelief of the people before Jesus who were in the crowd, who were part of the Greeks that came to see him and want a personal um, meeting with him, and from those of the temple when he cleared out the temple for a second time. And John uses this moment to insert these two verses from Isaiah. And whether this is from, and I believe it's from the Holy Spirit that was guiding him, or if this was brought to memory in another way, is to understand that in the time that John wrote this gospel, all the other gospels had been written, all the epistles had been written that Paul wrote, and the book of Acts was written. And so John would have had access at times with these other gospel, gospels and the other epistles. And if he took it from, um, it was our Lord spoke of this, as Jesus spoke these very words to the disciples, as he read Isaiah or read Jeremiah, you'll find these same things in Jeremiah 5, chapter 5, verse 21. John inserts this truth into what is going on because Jesus knows who it is that he's dealing with and the unbelief that is going to be shown, even though he did all these signs, even though he did all these wonders, the people still refuse to believe. And John is inserting this because it's through prophecy that is being fulfilled by 
Isaiah. And you also find this um, also in, if you want to take for a little later to take a look, you'll find the same thing in Numbers 14, verses 22 through 23. Again, the unbelief of the people of Moses and these very words that they are refusing to believe. When when, uh, John says in verse 38 that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Well, here they would not believe. The people that, are, that Jesus is crying out to would not believe. It says further in verse 39, Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. So not only would they not believe, they could not believe. Because by the conduct that Jesus that was in Jesus, by his words, their hearts were already hardened. Their eyes were already shut. Their ears were already closed to what he had saying. He was saying. So they would not believe. They could not believe. And he continues and says, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. So they would not believe. They could not believe. And really, they shouldn't believe because they wouldn't open up their hearts and mind to, to Jesus and to what he has said. They wouldn't believe. These things Isaiah, in verse 41, these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of them. So John is referencing the fact that the very things that Isaiah said back in chapter 53 and chapter 6 was because of the glory that Isaiah saw of, the, of God in heaven. Now, it reminds me of um, when they say, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, so that I should heal them. I almost think of it as kind of being sarcastic, but, in a, but really it's not. Um, there was a point when working at the hospital, there was a coworker who came back from a, a beautiful weekend and was sharing pictures with everybody. And she revealed in a story that she had just gotten engaged. But she, the way she explained it and the way her fiancé had set it all up, he surprised her. And his desire was to take her to Door County, which was one of their favorite places, and uh, um, Cave of the Point in um, where he was going to have these pictures taken over. And he, for the week, just urged her and wanted her to go on this trip to Door County. Now, this was in the midwinter. It was going to be cold. And it was, you know, pretty much shut down in Door County there. And she was fighting it. She didn't want to hear that. She didn't, certainly didn't want to see the snow. And she didn't want to go up there at all and would fight him all week long. Finally, he was able to convince her to go, unknowing to her that he was going to propose to her. So he brought her up to Door County at the uh, Cave Point County Park, and he had a photographer there set up to take pictures of them. 
when he got on his knee, when he, you know, proposed to her, and she had these beautiful pictures. But her heart, like the heart of these, was never was not to go up there, not to not to hear anything about it, not to see. It, she really didn't want to do anything with this. And how many times do I look back in my life when my spouse would speak to me and I would tune her out? And I didn't want to hear this or I didn't want to see this. But yet, it was like, well, what's wrong with you? Are you afraid that you were actually going to have fun? So if you're a person that was invited to, let's say, share a Thanksgiving dinner or go to a, a place to serve Thanksgiving dinner to homeless and to, you know, those that are destitute, and you were to meet at a place and be asked to share food and distribute food. And your heart was that, well, I don't really want to do this. I don't want to do this on Thanksgiving. You know, Thanksgiving is kind of like our time, my time. Um, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to see this. I don't want to have anything to do with this. And the question is, well, you know, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Well, the, the answer was, or the question was, why not? Are you afraid you might do some good? Are you afraid that you might have a good time, that you'll see God's hand in your life? And it would have nothing to do with this. Now, that ain't a personal story on me, but it brings to mind that there are those that love, like my sister, to go and go to the soup kitchen and serve the homeless and those that are um, out on the streets a great Thanksgiving dinner. And um, her heart was always to do that. But the heart of these people were not. They were hardened already, and God was just confirming that hardness in their heart. And you'll see that these very words that Jeremiah quoted here, that were quoted by Jer- uh, sorry, Isaiah, were the same words Jesus used. And in um, Matthew 13, chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, Matthew chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, says in verse 14, And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. What is he speaking of here? Well, Jesus is talking to his disciples because he has been starting to talk to the people in parables. And his disciples ask him why he's doing this. And he says... Um, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. So he is now revealing more of the mystery to his disciples, but to the general public, he's not. He's speaking in parables. Mark chapter 4, 
verse 12, puts it in, and there's two Gospels that really put it into perspective, both the one in Mark and in the one in Luke. But in Mark chapter 4, verse 12, um, it says the same thing in a different way. But uh, let's back it up to verse 11. And he, that is Jesus, said to him, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may, they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And then he goes on to explain in Mark why um, he is speaking in parables, and the parable of the sower is explained. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So receiving this word from Jesus all this time, there is an enemy who desires to take away the word from them, who desires to distract them, who desires to be contrary to the Lord. And this is one of the things that hardens their hearts. This is one of the things where they close their eyes and shut their ears. In verse 16, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in them, Selves and so endure only for a time. Now, here again explains what will bring a hardness to the heart and what will bring um, a hardness to you know shutting their eyes and they're not hearing. It's here where it says, Afterward, then when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So, there's another point where tribulation and persecution would make them not want to see with their eyes or hear with their ears what the Lord has been speaking to them. They don't want to face the persecution of one who is following Jesus. They don't want to admit, as you'll see later in his chapter of John, that they believe in him, but they don't want to say anything for fear of the Pharisees. And it says in 18 and 19, Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things entering in, choke the word and becomes unfruitful. The third thing that causes them to harden their hearts, to close their ears, to close their eyes to what they see and hear and what God wants to put in their heart. It's the cares of the world. So you had um, Satan, who comes and snatches the word away from him. You have um, tribulation and persecution, which takes away the word from them. And now you have the cares of the world. In our lifetime and in our era here, there were two big things that would cause us early in our lives to not hear the word of God, to not see. We could go to church. We could come back home. And everything, I'm telling you, the minute I walked out of church, if you had asked me what it was that the pastor talked about or preached on, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. Because there are certain things in our lives that were taking away the word of God. Television was one of the biggest things at the time. How many times do I think back in my life 
where television was the dominant thing in my life and was the focus of my life. You know, what it is now, it's the cell phone. It's a beautiful instrument. It's very helpful. But you can see people spend times on their cell phone hours and hours, and they have no desire to receive. There is even times where they have no desire to have personal conversation with each other. It's always text somebody, email somebody, or call somebody on the phone and, and reach out to them that way. There's never a getting together face-to-face now and uh, you know, being personal about it. Long ago in another job where I was at, and this was just the beginning of where computers, personal computers were taking over and everybody could purchase one. And where I worked in the department, the printing department, computers were just taking over the printing world. You could get a personal computer, and the people who worked in there, not only could they buy one, they could build a computer. You know, they were that smart working in my department, in the print department. It got to the point where this husband and wife would not only not communicate face-to-face, they would only sometimes communicate only through an email in two different rooms of the house. They're in the same house. One's in the living room, one's in the kitchen, and instead of going up and talking and asking questions, they would email somebody, you know, each other. So we're at this point now in the world where um, the phone, first it was television and a computer, now you hold a computer in your hand, it's multiple tasking, and you get less and less in the personal part because you are watching and you are focused on the cares of the world and anything that the phone will pop up to you. Now, where you see that there, Luke almost says the same thing about the sower. And in Luke chapter 8, verses starting in verse 10, again, Jesus is talking in parables to the people. His disciples ask him why he's talking in parables. Again, he says, because um, it's been given to you to know the mysteries, and for them, seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand, he explains about, again, the sower. And Luke puts it in a little different way, but it's basically the same. It says, those by the wayside are ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So those who are on the wayside here. They hear the word, but the devil comes and takes it away. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. So temptation plays a big part of why their hearts are hardened and that they do not receive God's word. And last is, now the ones that fell among the thorns in verse 13 are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no food to maturity. Again, there, these are the things, these three things will take away um, God's word from your heart and from you not willingly wanting to receive. Your unbelief will grow. And think of it as these Jews who were believers, but were persecuted. They, were, um, they faced persecution for family. 
from um, the synagogue. In their mind, all they had to do was just, if they'd stopped believing in Jesus, was going back into worshiping God. The guy that they always believed in, the guy that they always worshiped, granted, um, like everything else in their lives and everything else through their history, they strayed, they went to other gods, but in their mind, okay, I can give up believing Jesus, I still believe in God. <laughs> Easy for them now to not believe in Jesus and accept his truth, but just going back to their old ways and believing God. So you'll find here also in the book of Acts, again, <laughs> speaking of unbelief, in the books of, book of Acts, chapter 28, it's the last chapter of the book. <clears throat> if you'll turn there with me, Paul is in prison, and Paul has been sent to Rome, and he's awaiting trial. But in the meantime, <clears throat> oops, sorry. In the meantime, as he's awaiting, he's getting visitors to come and uh, see him, and he is bringing the gospel to them. And in chapter 28 of Acts, verses um, 26 and 27, while he's renting his own apartment for the next two years, he has Jews come in, and, he has, and he's speaking to them, and he's giving them the gospel. And in 20, verse 26 of chapter 28, let's back it up to verse 25. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. Verse 27, For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears have, are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Again, different scenarios, same verses, but not taken out of context. They're used in a different context, but they're all talking about the unbelief. And this is what Jesus has been, as he closes up his public ministry, he's trying to appeal to them about their hard-heartedness and their lack of of wanting to believe, their unbelief. So back in John, chapter 12. Again, in verse 36, um, John inserts these things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Um, in verse 36, remember now, Jesus hasn't stopped crying out and appealing to the people. But he appeals to a certain group here that he, he, he just knows them. And it says in verse 42, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praises of men more than the praise of God. God Jesus has been appealing to this group of people. And he's about to pick up his conversation again where John had um, paused and inserted this commentary and about unbelief and of Isaiah 
the two verses of Isaiah that re, um, deal with this unbelief, he picks up now and he says, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. This is that one thing where Satan will snatch it out. They'll snatch the word from you. Um, they are more interested in the, in the praises of people than of God. And there's this danger that if you do this, God's going to say, depart from me, for I do not know you. If you're embarrassed enough to speak of me publicly, well, I'm not going to speak of you to my father. And it's this danger with these rulers are, are amongst themselves saying, I believe, but they will not allow the Pharisees to know lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Now in verse 44, this is where, where Jesus had ended the conversation, not really ended the conversation, but where Paul, uh, John had ended it in verse 36. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. He picks up here in verse 44. Then Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. That is he who believes in me. That is Jesus. Believes not in me, that is Jesus, but in him, that is God, who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. So <clears throat> Jesus cries out. That word cried. Understand, this is with his whole heart, and he is speaking out in a loud voice as he can to get their attention one more time and appeal to them. If you look up the word cried in the Strong's, it says um, almost shriek or scream. Um, some, and, and in some sense, it's like when a crow caws. Um, it gets your attention. You can readily identify the crow when you hear his voice. Well, here, Jesus is crying out with his whole heart, with a raised voice, to appeal to them that if you believe in me, believe not in me, but in him who sent me. Again, he is appealing to them because they, they have worshipped God all their lives, and they're backsliding to going back to God, but he's reminding them, he's reminding them that I am sent from God. It's God who sent me, and he who sees me sees him who sent me. In verse 46, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. In verse 46, I have come as a light into the world and who, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. That word light used here, and actually used right in the beginning of this gospel, light, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And in John the Baptist speaks of him as light of the world, and I am not the light, but I am here to testify a witness of the light. In these references to Jesus as the light and um, as light unto the world, these are actual um, literal and figurative. Now, in this case, 
I have come as a light. It's a word called metanomi. And what it means is it's a substitution of a word for a bigger, um, a bigger sense. In, a, in an example would be like the king of the nation wields a big sword. Not meaning that the king himself is, a big, is carrying a big sword, but that it's a, he is backed up. This big sword is an army, and it's a large army. And as a king wields the sword, they're speaking of this army that's backing it up. So when it says, I have come as a light into the world, this word is all-encompassing both figuratively and literally because um, being referred to as a light by John, there is the light that we know of Jesus when he was transfigured on the mountain where he glowed, when he met Paul on the road to Damascus and the light knocked uh, Paul down. Um, There is the light that refers to Jesus' words, Jesus' actions, and Jesus' character, his comportment. And then there is the light that is a guide to our path. And this is where he is trying to reach out to these Pharisees and these uh, Greeks and other people of the temple who were there that I, am, uh, I have come as a light into the world and I'm not here to judge. Understand, while he's here in human form, he's not here to judge. That comes later. He is here to save the world. Judgment comes when he sits on the white throne of judgment. And if you think about it, think about the rejection of these people with their unbelief of Jesus Christ as the word, but are going to go to heaven and are going to stand before him before the white throne, the word, and he's going to be the one to judge them. And they're going to realize all that he's spoken, all that he had done, done. Um, they're going to realize that it was all real, all true, but it's too late for them. So in verse 47, and if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. This is what Jesus speaks of. He is going to be the one that sits on the throne to judge all. And his, the things that he had spoken, the word that I have spoken, will judge this person that is standing before him. Um, they are going to go because they were of their unbelief. They are going to be judged because of their unbelief to eternal damnation. And he says in verse 49, because of these things, again appealing to them that this is not just him, but he's reminding them he was sent by one. He was sent by the Father, God, the covenant God. In verse 49, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Now, in here, when you go back to verse 48, this is evidence of his divine nature, that he is God. 
It says God is going to judge the world, and there are going to be those that stand before the white throne of judgment. And Jesus is saying, he who rejects me and does not receive my words, that has that, has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. That verse speaking of God, Jesus God. Jesus is God. Jesus is divine. And he's not speaking on his own authority. Everything that Jesus did in the public ministry, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the words that were shared, the prayers, and all these, the healings, all of this was done through God's authority, through God the Father. Because what he heard from the Father, he spoke. What he heard from the Father, he did. And what he heard from the Father, um, right up to the very end, he was o- obedient. And when you get it, continue on here. Don't mistake that Jesus' light is going to dim. Because throughout this chapter 12, it speaks of the light. Way from the beginning, that Jesus is the light. And now his public in- in- ministry is going to end, but his light is not going to diminish now. Um, It's going to grow brighter because now he's going to be teaching his disciples in a personal way. And he's going to be arrested and he's going to be judged in the darkness. He's going to be found convicted in the darkness at night. He's going to be whipped and he's going to be crucified. And in that time, his light is bright, brightly shining. Because in that time, there are people who, believe it or not, through his death on the cross, will be saved. His light also, when he dies and his body is taken down, his light will shine because there are two men who would have been Pharisees, who would have been rulers, and were reticent in confessing Jesus they turn and they take his body down, Joseph of Arimathea, and um, I'm drawing a blank. Um, yeah, thank you, Nicodemus. They take his body down and they bury him. You understand what Nicodemus did and Joseph of Arimathea did. They cannot, by law, touch a dead body. And they did. They took him down and they carried him to the cave and they buried him, meaning that they would have to have purified themselves for seven days outside the city and then come and wash themselves and present themselves before the high priest. They were willing to now profess their belief in Jesus Christ as their Savior. So his light had shined through all of chapter, all of the first 12 chapters of the Bible here. And what he did with the miracles and the signs and the wonders and what he taught everybody and and what he um, did and how he conducted himself and in his obedience to God. His light will be diminished and snuffed out, only temporary. Satan thought that he would have a victory in snuffing out Jesus' light on a cross and dead and buried for three days. But that light comes back even more powerful when he raises from the dead on the third day. And it reminds me that when I look back at all the signs and wonders that Jesus did in the first 12 chapters of this book, you, you remember the, <clears throat> the healing of the um, 
servants, uh, the man's servant, the turning the water to wine, the um, healing of a blind man, and the um, all these signs and wonders that he did. Remember, in all of this stuff, there were two things I think that he didn't, it wasn't the miracle part and it wasn't the wonder part that he did. It was the action that he took in cleaning out his father's temple. Twice he had to do it. When they were selling and the money changers were there and they were selling the animals for sacrifice, they were in a court of the temple that was supposed to be reserved for the Gentiles. And that was the largest court of the temple. And they would, uh, the Gentiles were supposed to be able to come in and worship there and um, be able to uh, pray to God there. This was way back in Solomon's time. God told them, put this aside because all nations, I want all nations to come and worship me and to pray and to seek me. Well, during this time where Jesus is, you know that the Pharisees and the people, the, the Jews themselves, the Hebrews, didn't have much to do and want have much to do with the Gentiles in their temple. So much so that they put up warning signs on their own. They put up warning signs in the temple that if you passed this line, you would be put to death. That was not God's plan. It was not God's way for them to be excluded like this. This is something that the Jews did, the Pharisees did, is they posted signs around the temple that wouldn't allow um, Gentiles to come and pass. If they did, they would be put to death instantly. So the Lord being our light, through his power, through his truth, and using just the basic things of life, Uh, a strand of cords and animals there to clean out the temple the first time and then coming back and now is again having to cleanse the temple of money changers and people bringing in their wares to sell. He's, He's trying to make them aware that God's house is a house of worship for all, for all nations to come. But the Pharisees and those who were in the synagogues and in the temple had a higher mind of themselves. They, had, um, they didn't feel like they should have to mingle with the Gentiles. And you know what their feelings were with Samaritans, those who were part Jew and part Gentile. Um, and they would try in many different ways of keeping the Gentiles out of their perfect world in the temple. Reminds me of a story um, that I heard, and I don't think it's true. I don't know if it's true, um, but it's very apropos to what Jesus was trying to get them to do was to, again, open up that court to the Gentiles. And the story, it's, it's titled, um, An Old Cowboy Attends a Church, and it reminded me very much of when Jesus is cleaning out this temple. Um, he's trying to um, 
it brought me back to the story that I heard, and I just want to share it with you. It says, one Sunday morning, an old cowboy entered a church just before services were to begin. Although the old man and his clothes were very worn and ragged, in his hand he carried a worn old hat and an equally worn-out old Bible. The church he entered was very upscale, an exclusive part of the city. It was the largest and most beautiful church the old cowboy had ever seen. It had high cathedral ceilings, ornate statues, beautiful murals and stained glass windows, plush carpet, and velvet like cushioned pews. The building must have cost millions of dollars to build and maintain. The men, women, and children of the congregation were all dressed in the finest and most expensive suits, dresses, shoes, and jewelry the old cowboy had ever witnessed. As the poorly dressed cowboy took a seat, the others moved away from him. No one greeted him. No one welcomed him. No one offered a handshake. No one spoke to him. They were all appalled at his appearance and did not attempt to hide the fact. There were many glances in his direction as the others frowned and commented among themselves about his shabby attire. A few chuckles and giggles came from some of the younger members. The preacher gave a long sermon about hellfire and brimstone and a stern lecture on how much money the church needed to do God's work. When the offering plate was passed, thousands of dollars came pouring forth. As soon as the service was over, the congregation hurried out. Once again, no one spoke or even nodded to the stranger in the ragged clothes and boots. Clothes and boots. As the old cowboy was leaving the church, the preacher approached him. And instead of welcoming him, the preacher asked the cowboy to do him a favor. Preacher said, before you come back in here again, have a talk with God and ask him what he thinks would be appropriate attire for worshiping in this church, the old preacher said. Well, the cowboy assured the preacher he would do that and left. The very next Sunday morning, the old cowboy showed back up for the services, wearing the same ragged jeans, shirt, boots, and hat. Once again, the congregation was appalled at his appearance. He was completely shunned and ignored again. The preacher noticed the man still wearing his ragged clothes and boots. And instead of beginning his sermon, stepped down from the pulpit and walked over to where the man sat alone. I thought I'd ask you to speak to God before you came back to our church, the preacher said. I did, replied the cowboy. Well, if you spoke to God, what did he tell you the proper attire should be for worshiping in here? Asked the preacher. Well, sir, said the cowboy, God told me that he wouldn't have the slightest idea what was appropriate attire for worshiping in your church. He says he's never been in here. (laughs) Kind of remind you of what the Jews were doing to the Gentiles when they wanted to come and worship in the temple and worship in the court, put aside for them. And it didn't matter what attire they would come in. It doesn't matter that they weren't dressed up. It didn't matter that they were Jews. God would receive their worship and their praise and their prayers. And I love here, 
because when we come here, we come as our humble selves. We're not dressed to the nines. Our church is a humble church. And here, though, you get the realness of people. God has revealed every one of our hearts and knit it to every to each other here. And it's so sweet to be in this house and to be part of this church where if an old cowboy came in here with ragged clothes and a ragged cowboy hat and a ragged beat-up Bible, man, we are going to welcome him and we are going to hug him. He's going to be felt welcomed here. He's going to be felt... He's going to feel like he's family here already. And... Jesus has been at this time, as his ministry, public ministry is closed, he makes one more big appeal to the people there for their unbelief to become believers, to become children of Jesus Christ. And his appeal, unfortunately, goes on deaf ears. But as you read further ahead, you, you know that what Jesus is going through, even as on the cross, people become saved while he's on the cross. The centurion becomes a believer. You know, um, the thief on the cross is a believer. And his light is going to shine. And may it shine in our hearts and minds all the time. Amen? Amen. Abba, Father, as you have reached out to your people, as you have appealed to their hard-heartedness to turn from their unbelief to belief, Father. I thank you and praise you that as your light shone in the darkness, your light continues to shine. Your light is eternal. And at one time when we get into the new Jerusalem, we no longer need the sun or the moon. You are the light and there will be no more darkness. It will be just eternal light. And we are looking forward to that time, looking forward to that moment when you're, you are the light of our lives forever and ever and ever eternal. In Jesus' name, amen.